So I'm going to try and set some context and I've got about four key areas I want to cover in this brief period of time. I want to start with the QUIP challenge because I think that is the biggest issue facing us going forward. Look at some drivers for clinical reconfiguration. Just take stock of where we are now and then look at the challenges going forward. So beginning with QUIP. We've been sitting with the Nicholson Challenge, the 20 billion challenge for the last few years. But as my colleague at the King's Fund has set out recently in his um, BMJ briefing, actually this um, rather cold climate looks set to continue for some time yet. And the, 50 billion, uh, the 20 billion challenge he has calculated is now a 50 billion challenge reaching through for the next six years a 5% per annum increase in productivity over that period of time, contrasting to the minus 0.2% increase or decrease in productivity that we've seen in the previous 10 years. So John's question, is this a productivity challenge too far? I think I'll leave that hanging, but it certainly means that the traditional approach of sort of tightening our belts endless CIP programmes is absolutely not going to work. The optimistic view of it is that actually it may at last change the health system in the way that some people believe it should be changed, fundamentally rebalance it between patient and professional and between health and health care. Clinical reconfiguration. Many people across the country are thinking about clinical reconfiguration. But one of the small problems we have here, a lot of us talk as if there is an inevitability, a natural order of things around reconfiguration. But actually, as my colleague Nigel and Edwards and I discover when we mine the evidence in this area, the evidence is not as clear-cut as you might want. So while there is good evidence for centralisation of some elements of surgical services, actually when it comes to general medicine, the evidence is not nearly so clear-cut. And actually there's some quite compelling arguments for keeping general medicine close to people's communities and primary care. Actually, one of the biggest drivers around reconfiguration at the moment is workforce, particularly as we see uh, training numbers reduce. And I think there's some real issues to flow from that as to whether those should be the compelling drivers for change going forward. As well as the drivers to centralise, they're clearly the drivers to decentralise as well. The tsunami of chronic disease means that we need much stronger primary and community care services with the focus on keeping people out of hospital. But actually this is incredibly hard to achieve and it doesn't always save money, unfortunately. It's certainly not going to be delivered through piecemeal change. And actually if you just shift current secondary care services out of hospital into the community, you're likely to end up spending money overall. So what's the current health of the current provider sector? Not that great, actually. Of the 248 eligible trusts for FT status, there's still over 100 to become FTs. And actually, the FT pipeline has almost dried up. There have only been seven authorisations per year in the last two years. And of that 100 going forward, 20 have actually declared that they can't go forward in their current state. And they uh, have said that high levels of debt, misalignment of capacity or severe PFI stand behind that. And 17 of that 20 are saying that they're thinking about merger. And um, the um, NHS Trust Development Authority reckon that only about a third of the current pipeline might proceed in their current form. 
In addition, we've already got financial strains appearing in the current FTs. So 15 of the current FTs finished 2011-10 in deficit and four have been declared by Monitor as not viable in their current form. So looking forward, um, what are the solutions? Well, as I said, 17 of the 20 in the pipeline are contemplating merger. The small problem here is that the evidence isn't great about merger. They very rarely deliver the benefits anticipated. The one sort of counterexample we've had recently is actually in mental health, which does seem to have succeeded in, in merging in a number of places across the country. An evidence drawn together by McKinsey using international examples suggests that actually takeovers by hospital chains might be some of the most successful approaches, particularly if they then reconfigure services. And McKinsey estimated that reconfiguring services could generate about 14% of savings, but only 2.5% might flow from back office functions, shared back office functions. Another option is to replace management, but as we know, that isn't always successful. And actually, you need continuity of leadership to drive improvement. And as our leadership report identified no more here, as you need a shared and distributed model of leadership that isn't likely to be flown in from the outside. And then there's the franchise option. We've only got one example so far, um, Hinchingbrook, and the jury's probably still out of that. The last is sort of dissolution and disposal, and clearly that's highly politically unpalatable. So taken overall, I think my um, conclusion is that there's a real risk that we treat failure as a single organisational problem when the issue may well be a lot more systemic and linked to the overall configuration of services in the patch, current service relationships and the capacity outside the hospital. Or even, as Andy McKeon has postulated in a recent HSJ article, the current funding allocation. Um, the funding formula actually varies between £1,300 a head to £2,300 a head in different areas, and I don't think we always understand what the implications of that are. Once trusts have become FTs, the new regulatory and commissioning landscape is also likely to present challenges to them. In particular, they may find themselves with limited room for manoeuvre. Through the licence, Monitor will have the power to set conditions, including the maintenance of mandatory services, so-called commissioner-requested services, and will also be able to charge a levy to support a risk pool to help failing trusts. FTs will also, as currently, have to go out to consultation if they want to do any significant service change. And in South London, that consultation process took well over six years. More positively, Monitor is expected to publish an annual list of services that are, that are put at significant risk by the configuration of healthcare services, and that's designed to sort of preempt um, failure and drive some change locally. So we'll see how that might play out. But also, providers face a potentially quite fragmented commissioning landscape. They're going to have their um, services commissioned by CCGs alongside the NHS Commissioning Board and local authorities. They're also relating now to health and wellbeing boards, academic health science networks, clinical networks and clinical senates. And will all these organisations have the same priorities? And many of them will be in an early stage of development. So to conclude, providers, in my view, are about to enter the most challenging period in the NHS's history. They're going to be put under severe financial stress with limited room for manoeuvre around the reconfiguration of services, a fragmented commissioning landscape, and as South London has shown, no more bailouts. 
But what's the real risk? I think it's suggesting that we know the solutions when we don't. Who is able to say with cast-iron certainty why South London failed? Association is not causation. Problems are likely to be multifactorial. Yet the failure regime gives an administrator 45 days to come up with recommendations when the financial analysis and evidence before them is likely to be weak. Ali Parser from Circle said the other day that 18 months into taking over Hinchingbrook, he still hadn't got robust financial information. And as Nigel Edwards, sitting with us here today, said in a recent HSJ article, we need much more humility about what we don't know, less resort to stock solutions such as horizontal mergers, and much more imagination and flexibility about possible solutions that pay a more nuanced attention to the evidence we do have.